let's get in the Word today, and I want to read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. And we're going to talk, we're talking about the different strategies of Satan, and today it's called Claiming Ground. And the message is going to be about forgiveness. And I, I want you to know, uh, God, uh, I, or I, I found some insights into forgiveness that I never had before. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been serving the Lord. Uh, became a Christian when I was six years old. And, but I, there's things about forgiveness that I just didn't understand. And I hope you find them as helpful as I did. Um, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Underline that, nor give place to the devil. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands, doing what is good, that he may have something to give him who has, who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Christ forgave you. So today I want to talk about how Satan claims ground in our lives, even Christ's followers, through unforgiveness and broken relationships. I want to break it down like this. One, surrendering ground. Two, taking responsibility. And three, reclaiming ground and evicting the adversary. There, there are many biblical passages about forgiving, being charitable, being tolerant, forgiving toward other human beings. Proverbs 37, 8 says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is patient has great understanding. But one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Then, of course, there's those famous words of Jesus in Mark 11:25. When you stand praying, forgive if you hold anything against anyone so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. Uh, which, is, um, which is an unbelievably interesting passage because Mark 11 starts this whole, this whole scene that's happening before Jesus, right before his death, right before he's going to get ready to go to the cross. It all starts in verse 12 where Jesus walks by a fig tree and rebukes this fig tree. And then you move on down to verse 15 and he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temples, the, the, the terminology that's used in the book of Mark. The uh, book of John actually says that he made a whip out of, out, of, out of strands of leather, and he cleansed the temple. So just imagine this, Jesus going ballistic in church and, 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 and destroying the guys that are selling their CDs in the lobby, you know? <laughs> so Jesus, is, Jesus does this act of cleansing the temple, and then, then back, they get down to verse 23 to verse 24, they revisit the fig tree, and the disciples notice that it's withered and it's not growing anymore. And, 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 and so they're amazed. And Jesus says to them, uh, if you will have faith, you will be able to do this and a lot more. You'll be able to say to mountains, be removed, and, 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 uh, and, and it, will, it will move because you, you say it. And so he's, he's, he's really telling them about the source of living boldly, 
and effectively. The source source of living boldly and effectively is having faith in an infinite, all-powerful God. But then there's this, he comes out of left field, which Jesus does a lot. He goes, verse 25, but when you stand, pray, forgive. Now, a lot of people extract that verse out of there, and they define Christianity as niceness. But (laughs) put it in context. He He just destroyed a fig tree. He just had a beat down at the temple that he executed. And in the middle of it, he goes, Make sure you're very forgiving and kind. What's going on here with this? What's happening here? Well, here's what I think is happening here. If, if you're, and first of all, if you're going to live effectively and move things forward, he's, he's saying you're going to have a lot of critics. You're going to have a lot of people who offend you and hurt you if you live boldly the way I live. And so you, might, you better plan on making forgiveness a routine part of your prayer life that is not good news (laughs) when the Lord says every time you pray you're going to have to forgive that means every day of your life someone's going to offend you so the forecast is not great for walking with God and being a Christ follower and being a mountain moving person a person who moves mountains and a person who is able to rebuke fruitlessness Did you get that? A person who goes goes through life with purpose and meaning and is able to move mountains and and get rid of fruitlessness in their life, they are going to need to forgive offenses a lot because you're going to have a lot of opposition. Welcome to the Christian life. Welcome to the peace and joy of following Jesus. It's kind of like your vacuum cleaner, you know? You can buy the most expensive vacuum cleaner you want to buy. But... One of these days, you're going to plug it in, and it ain't going to work. It's not going to suck anything out of the carpet because you've got to clean the filter. All you've got to do is clean the filter. Then it's back, and that's the way, the, that's the way life is. You've got to constantly clean your filter. So stop fantasizing that the world is a nice place instead of what it is. It's a place filled with dysfunctional, self-interested creatures who will constantly get in the way of progress. But if you're going to live powerfully and actually make a difference, you're going to spend your energies moving mountains, not licking wounds and getting revenge. If you start living a life of licking wounds and getting revenge, you're going to stop moving mountains. I believe that's what Jesus was saying. You sound like you agree. Jeffrey Sachs, the rabbi from London, has the greatest 15-minute sermon I ever heard called The Age of Unforgiveness, which means it's also the culture of hurt feelings. We live in a culture of offended people. Do you know that? If we succeed in destroying Western civilization, it will be because we tried to make the world into a safe place free of offense. <laughs> you guys are just getting this too. You're just, you're just getting it too, too easily. I don't know where I got this, but years ago, I, I've said it many times. I know it didn't come from me. Very, few, very little that's profound comes from me. What, when offense comes, don't nurse it. Don't curse it. Don't rehearse it. Let God reverse it. Amen. That's what we're going to talk about today. I propose that Mark 11 is about doing life in the world. 
Ephesians 4 that I begin with is, is about the people you're doing life with in community. Think about that for a minute. I believe Mark 11 is about doing life in the world. And I might be wrong about this because I'm wrong a lot more than I'm right. But, but, but sometimes, you, you know, in life, you have to go ahead and say something badly before you figure it out. So I'm going to say it the way I see it. But Mark 11 is about doing life in the world. And we say here at Bethany, we're a community for the community. That's, that's our motto. We want to be a, be a community for the community. By the way, I, this also is, is a side trail. But uh, I, I spent half, almost half my day at the Blessing Barn yesterday. It's a long story. But I sat there and worked on my sermon in the, over in the corner. And uh, watched the hundreds of people coming from all over the region. You, if you haven't spent some time on a Saturday at the Blessing Barn, please do it. Grab a cup of coffee. There's a Dunkin' Donuts down the street, and sometimes they have coffee there. Go sit in the corner and just watch the humanity that comes in and out of that place. It's amazing. It's really amazing thing to watch. Uh, now, how do I get back into the sermon? Um, <laughs> So I propose that Mark 11 is about doing life in the world. Ephesians 4 is about the people that you're doing life with in community, in family and in community. Secondly, uh, Paul implores us to be especially emotionally and relationally charitable with people we're doing community with. And thirdly, thirdly, he he says to us in that the context, thirdly, he says, if you stay angry with people you're doing life with, you will create a space for Satan to take advantage of you and have a place within yourself. He says, don't sin when you're angry. Do not let the sun get down on your wrath. Impart grace to the hearers. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. God forgive you. That is in the context. If you read, if you read Ephesians 4, it's all about life within your, within your faith community. You know, I love that, I love that little meme that was going around a while ago. It, uh, it, it shows this little, little child like a, a pre-toddler. With this, with this really kind of intense look on his little face. And it, the, the, the title of the meme was, When You Watch Your Parents Struggling to Assemble a Playpen. <laughs> what kind of life can these people even offer you? <laughs> the, that's the way you will feel sometimes sitting around the church. That's sometimes the way you'll feel when you watch the pastor and his his staff trying to make this thing work. But it works out, doesn't it? Call it what you want. I know that, I know, I got to get into this, but I know that uh, uh, when we talk about bitterness and anger, that none of you are angry or bitter. I know that. You're, you're just deeply hurt. <laughs> and, and, and wounded. And, uh, and you no longer feel safe around certain people. I, I understand that. So, so today we don't have to talk about bitterness. We'll just talk about uh, we'll talk about feeling wounded and hurt, and not feeling safe around me anymore. You know, I will just talk about that, right? Some of you are not smiling, and it's scaring me. <laughs> so let's talk about surrendering ground. How how this happens? So this I'm 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 
I'm being a fool up here today, but, it, but it's just very serious. Probably the most serious thing that we can talk about other than heaven and hell is this matter of giving, being a Christ follower, but having a space in your life that Satan owns, legally owns. This, this, term, this term place that the, the King James Bible uses in other places called foothold means, it, here's what it means, an area of legal jurisdiction. In other words, Satan has a legal right because if you entered into a place of un- uncharitableness, unforgiveness, other, other things that are mentioned in the text, he now has a legal right to an area of your soul. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian, obviously. I mean, I mean, when the Bible says to Christians, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, what happens when a Christian doesn't? Now, maybe, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not an unconditional eternal security guy, much to some of your disappointment. Uh, I, I believe in free will too much, but I don't believe every time Satan gets, gets in, into someone's life that they're necessarily not a Christian anymore. I, don't, I, I, I know that's not true. It just doesn't work out. So let me explain. I'm going to use a little grid here of surrendered ground, and there's nothing especially profound about this grid. It's just some terms that I came up with. Um, uh, Ephesians 4.27 says, Don't let the sun go down your wrath. Now, there's a very interesting verse in James chapter 1. James chapter 1.21 says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted words which is able to save your souls. And that, that's a very interesting idea, able to save your souls, because we know we're spirit, soul, and body. So is there something going on here besides just going to heaven or going to hell? Is there something else going on here when it talks about your soul being saved or your soul being healthy and whole? And we, we, let, let's, just, let's start with some of the things that, that Satan will begin to get into your soul. Remember, let me say this. Remember what will happen. Remember Jesus when he talked about in the first sermon in the series that, that, that Jesus was confirmed by his father at his baptism. He gets tempted the devil. He gets taken into the wilderness and tempted the devil. And what does the devil try to do? He tries to convince Jesus that Jesus had to be responsible for his own self-image. You turn the stones into bread if you're the son of God. Well, Jesus knew he was the son of God not because he turned stones to bread or because he, he did anything. He knew he was the son of God because the father had said it. The word of God had come to him and said it, and Jesus stood his ground. He didn't give any ground to Satan because Satan wanted to remove him from the consciousness of God. The consciousness of, that God was his identity shaper, that God was his God, that God was his all in all. He wanted to remove him from seeing God as his all in all to, to, to what we call self-consciousness. He wanted to remove that to he would define himself by jumping off the temple, by turning stones into bread, and ultimately by bowing and worshiping Satan. So that's what this, this grid is really about. So things start to happen when you get into self, anxiety, doubt, fear, frustration, lust, addictions, anger, Destructive dominance, and I put, I put a slash weak leadership because you go to one extreme. Either you practice destructive dominance, you have to crush everybody, or you're so weak that you don't protect the people in your life that God has put you there to protect. You have no balance in your life. Self-rejection. Psychosomatic illnesses, and I don't believe all illnesses are psychosomatic, but you, there is such a thing as psychosomatic illnesses. Inability to stay with commitments. 
a life of revenge and retaliation. And we could give a lot of illustrations of this, but I won't take the time today. But that's what Paul meant when Paul said the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that seats itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He is talking to believers. He is talking to people who follow Christ who've given Satan a piece of real estate in their soul. And it doesn't mean that they're no longer Christians, but Satan owns a piece of real estate in their soul where he can come come and go and will and torment them. I discovered, we discovered something in our home uh, now that we've moved out. uh, Maybe Sherry, you won't be mortified that I would share this now that we don't live in that house anymore, you know? I'm going to take a chance. I didn't have her screen this before I said it. Dangerous. I'm living dangerously. I know. Um, I think, I, 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 here's how we'll get off the hook. I think I'm responsible for what happened in our home. Because I, I, I used to uh, cook oatmeal for breakfast every morning. You know, I didn't like the instant stuff. I cooked the real stuff, you know. And so I brought in grain into the house, didn't keep it properly covered. And how many of you know what happens when you bring grain into your house and don't properly cover it? Some of you know. You get something called pantry pest. You ever have pantry pest in here? I'm the only one. I, I feel terrible. I'm the only one. Ever had pantry pest? They are insidious. I fought, I call. I call pest control. They said. They said, you're you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> they said there's nothing we can do to get rid of pantry pest. So I I would I would clean out that pantry and spray and put up stuff. I mean, every morning I would go down, and they, they started out as little worms crawling across the ceiling. And I would go in there in the morning, these little worms are crawling, and I would go get the pesticide and spray them every day. And I found, I found these little things called pantry pest traps. You know, they look like that. And you, you'd put them out, and you go back the next day, and they're just gloms of little pantry pests. Oh, it's just so gross. And I think that's what happens to our lives the Bible talks about laying aside every weight and sin will easily beset us, and you no longer, you no longer have freedom. You no longer have freedom. You no longer have the peace that God promises to us, and it's it, and and you can't fix it. You can't control it, and we're, we're going to talk about that later. Now let's move into the next part of this, which is taking responsibility. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians six says. And I won't even read all of that verse because you know that. Most of you know that verse well. I want, I want you to, to underline the term, our struggle. That's the good news. The good news is you don't have to fix anybody else. It's your struggle. Now, I, I want to give uh, a young lady that I don't even know. She's an actress named Kimberly Yates a lot of credit for this part of the sermon. Because she does a, she does a TEDx talk on forgiveness. That's, that's awesome. And I watched it a while back, and I, I, I was just, wow, this is a very young person. And it, something really cool is happening right now in the world. While we have a lot of things going wrong, and a lot of young people going the wrong direction, there are some young people that are really coming out with some incredible insights right now, and some cr- incredible wisdom. I, th- I think they're watching their peers kind of go crazy, and they're, they're stepping back and going, wait a minute, that's not the path. And so some really cool things are happening. I, I really believe that. Um, here's what she said, first of all. Real forgiveness is not justification. Real forgiveness requires an accusation. 
Otherwise, there's nothing to forgive. Think about that for a minute. A lot of times, we want to we, we just gloss over what people do to us and say it was nothing. No, they didn't mean it. But that doesn't allow... It, if, if it's worth forgiving, it has to be a real offense. And here's what she goes on to say, and she's talking about the process of forgiving her boyfriend. And I know some of us a little bit older will watch it, and, and we want to, it won't mean that much to us because we think that's just young puppy love and it's not a big deal. But I thought her insights were pretty good. Here's what she said. I think I felt safer if there was a good psychological reason for his behavior. But that's not forgiveness. That's a feeble attempt at self-protection. And it's a little bit arrogant setting myself up as the bigger person. Plus, it turns the forgiving person into a victim of his psychological brokenness instead of seeing him for what he, re he really is, a capable person who's in charge of his actions, who does wrong things sometimes. What if we were all brave enough and vulnerable enough to accuse each other flat out and say, hey, that was selfish and that hurt me instead of that's okay. I know your dog died when you were four. That's, it, read the context of that verse I read. It's not just about forgiveness. It's about truth-telling. It's about a culture of candor. It's about where we bring things out of the shadows and we're able to put them on the table. That's so very important. And I'm not suggesting all offenses should be confronted. I want to be very, very clear about that. Don't, don't take this message, you want to get rid of Satan. Well, I've got to go confront every single person who's ever offended me. I, I, years ago in my first church, I preached a message kind of like this, and I created a disaster because everybody started confronting everybody over every little thing, and it's, that's called pettiness. That's not what we're talking about here, and, and we need a whole other sermon to talk about what are the grounds for that. So I won't, we won't, but I, I just want to say that don't feel like you've got to go confront everything, but you're gonna, I believe you're going to know. You're going to know when there's an issue that, in which there will be no reconciliation without confrontation. The next thing I want to say about taking responsibility is there's this modern notion of forgiveness being letting go. But that's not the Jewish understanding of forgiveness. The Hebrew word used for forgiveness doesn't means the very opposite of that. You know how, you know, uh, probably, and this is the part that I really needed to understand that I didn't understand about forgiveness. Because I too, in fact, I used to do illustration where I'd take an object and I would say, forgive, and I would let it hit the floor to illustrate you need to let go of things. But I got to thinking about that as I, as I read this and I got to thinking, you know, letting go is about me. Letting go is about me feeling better, about me not feeling it. And that's not the basis of forgiveness. The basis of forgiveness is not letting go. In fact, the Hebrew word that's used for, for forgiveness, kephar, means to lift up. It means to atone for. And then there's even a stronger word in the Hebrew language, nasa, that's also in the Greek, that means to lift, to bear, to carry, to take away. And it means to forgive. So from a Hebraic perspective, the forgiveness of sins is, is, is the same as lifting it off. It's, it's what we see in Isaiah 53, 4, when it says, Suddenly he hath borne our sorrows. That Christ cross of forgiveness was so heavy, he had to get help getting it to the top of the hill, getting it to the top of the hill of redemption. And see, I happen to be a little uh, theologically old-fashioned. I believe in what theologians call penal substitutionary atonement. I actually believe in that. But I don't believe it's just an experience. I believe it's a paradigm. 
I believe it's a model. And so we're going around trying to let go of things because it's about us. Forgiveness is about the person you're forgiving. You want to pick up the burden of their sins and you're going to carry them. You're going to pick up their burden of sin and you're going to pick up their burden, the burden of offense and you're going to carry it and you're going to hold it and you're going to feel the weight of it and you're going to walk with it. And I, I heard a young lady talking about forgiveness who, who, who a friend of the family had murdered her mother and her father and she tried for a long time to let go, let go, I'm going to let go. One day she realized I can never ever refer to that young man who killed, or that family friend who killed my mother and my brother. I can never refer to him without thinking of them. I can never think of him without thinking of them. I've got to carry this. Forgiveness has to be the willingness to carry the burden of other people's sins and to be more concerned about them lifting their burden than you feeling better. The root word of forgiveness is give. Miroslav Volv in his book, Free of Charge, which is, the rest of that title is Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. What a great title, huh? He describes this beautiful picture of the dance of the three graces from Greek mythology. It pictures giving and forgiving as three sisters called grace. And one holds the gift of forgiveness or giving, and she hands it to the other, and the third girl takes it from the second girl that got it and takes it back to the first person. And so that, that gift of grace and forgiveness just keeps going and it's like a dance that they do among themselves, constantly passing back and forth the gift of grace and the gift of forgiveness. And that's what God intends for this church to look like. God intends for this community to look like. Us not, not just trying to feel better, not just trying to get over it, not just trying to forget it and get over it, but ministering grace to one another and true forgiveness to one another and saying, yes, you are an offender. You offended me. Now let me come and let me pick up the burden of your being. I, I don't think we get that. I'm willing to pick up the burden of your being. I'm willing to help you work through what caused you to do that to me. Because I care about you. This is, this is what happened. This is what happened when Jesus went to the cross. Amen. Kimberly Yates says, Forgiveness is much less like a one-time action or event and much more like a circle. And we can choose to participate in this circle of forgiveness. Forgiveness, tenderness, brotherly and sisterly Christ-like love is supposed to be a gift people doing like together pass around that never hits the floor and never just stays with one person but stays in circulation all the time. <laughs> there was a cartoon in the New Yorker a few years ago. Uh, it shows a couple. I, let's throw that cartoon up there, guys. This cartoon shows a couple who's been to dinner at another couple's house. And the, and the caption reads, Since we're not into payback dinners, could $80 be acceptable for a reasonably decent evening we all had? That's why we are sometimes. We, I don't really want to get all involved with you. I don't really want to have intimacy with you. I just want to get over feeling bad towards you. That's not enough. That is not what God wants us to do. So let's, let's end by talking about reclaiming the ground and evicting the adversary. 
you know, uh, in the Southwest, Texas, Arizona, uh, California, they have something called bitter weed. And it uh, it's a, actually looks like a beautiful flower. Uh, and uh, insects will only, but it's, but it's toxic, it's very toxic. Insects will only eat bitter weed for 30 seconds and they move on. For some reason, they know it's bitter and will move on. Cows will eat it uh, if they don't have anything else to eat. And they will get sick and eventually die if they keep eating it. But sheep, for some reason, have no discernment. <laughs> I don't know what the connection is there. <laughs> sheep have no discernment. And they will eat bitter weed until they die. If the shepherd does not spot it. And they, they have physical signs and... and and they begin to spit up the, the weed and all of that. And they watch them. They can see they've been eating bitter weed. So what, why, did I tell, why did I say that? If you know and you're sitting here today and you suspect that you've given Satan ground because you haven't been honest and you haven't been willing to bear the burden of other people's sins, you haven't been willing to actually forgive, you need Jesus' help. You cannot do this by yourself. Amen. I'm serious. You cannot do this by yourself. Amen. You've got to help Jesus' help, and you need help of the body of Christ to help you because you're in trouble. Amen. Don't forgive, I want to say, just because you don't want to feel bitter. That's a nice result, by the way, and not wrong. It's not, it's not wrong to want to feel good, by the way. I'm not condemning. I'm not condemning us for wanting to be happy. What kind of sick... Uh, ma a masochistic person are you if you don't want to be happy? Of course we want to be happy. Of course we want to feel good. And you will feel better. But don't forgive just because you want to feel better. Forgive because you want the forgiven to be freed from shame. How about that for maturity? Amen. Forgive because you want the forgiven to be freed from their guilt and their shame. That sounds like my hero, Jesus. That sounds like real Christianity to me. Love, not self-interest, will empower you to pick up the cross of forgiveness. A habit of forgiveness can't be sustained by self-interest, but, but, uh, but by meaningful sharing in the suffering of Christ for the ultimate redemption of humanity. This is what the church is supposed to be doing in the world, and we have to start by practicing it in the laboratory, which is here. Secondly, face the reality of your own sinfulness and powerlessness. You know, Tim, you do this for 33 years and, and you, you have the scars to prove it, don't you? I bet <laughs> unbutton your shirt. I bet I can see the scars, right? Uh, I'm sure that you've never been abandoned by anyone, though, or anything, you know, no rejection. I mean, his church runs like 20,000, so no one's ever rejected, right? I'm kidding, it doesn't mean that many, but it's, it's a, it's a good-sized church. But, um, you know, I, I, you, you see, those of you who've been around me, you, you know, you know I, I take it hard sometimes. And, and I haven't always handled it well. Sometimes it even comes out in a sermon. <laughs> I, 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 try, I try not to let that happen anymore. But I'm driving in the road. This is so random the other day. And 
I love the fact, I think the, I think the secret, you know, Dan, we're talking one day, and I think you're the one who told me about the song, Don't Let the Old Man In, and, and that's a, a side trail, side story, but I think one day, way we keep from letting the old man in, Tim, is we keep letting Jesus bring us to repentance and brokenness before him. I think that's what can keep us young. And I'm riding down the road the other day, and it was, out, it was so out of the blue. It had to be the Holy Spirit. It had to be. One thing I'm convinced of is spiritual experience. I, I, spiritual experience is too real, man. This is real. I'm driving the road, and I get a flashback to a man who, who was my pastor during my teenage years who poured so much into me. I mean, he, he, was, he was a mentor to me. He let me preach in his pulpit. He let me start leading the youth group when I was 16. And uh, just, I remember one day he came to me. He said, Phil, you dress like an old man. I'm taking you shopping. <laughs> and I was born old, you know. And, and he did. He took me shopping, bought me a bunch of clothes. And he was that kind of guy. He taught me how to play. He taught me to play the piano. He, I was hopeless, and, and I couldn't read music because I, could, I had such a good ear for music that I could I'd hear the song, and the teacher would think I was reading the music when I was playing it by ear. I was playing it because I had heard it, and I could remember it. And, but he, he recognized, he saw through that, and he, so he said, we're not going to worry about teaching you to read music. I'm going to teach you chords and runs. If you're a musician, you know what that means. And so that's what he did. I'd go every week, and he let me teach guitar. I taught guitar lessons in his, in his bookstore downtown McKinney, Texas. And you know, 18 years old, I went to full-time ministry. I left Texas, and I never looked back. I never called him. I never wrote a note. I just feel so horrible about that. What an idiot. What an idiot. So what right do I have to be offended at anyone? Pride, the pride that we have that we think, I would never do that to anybody. When we have in our lives, we're all sinners. Would you face that? We're all sinners. We're all broken. That's the reason Paul wrote all this stuff. Remember when you read the epistles, it's all written to Christians. All that stuff wasn't written to people that are hanging out in Las Vegas. You know, about lust and murder. And it's all written to people in church, man. That should scare the bejesus out of you. <laughs> it should also humble you. It should humble us. So I, I really repented. I'm 65 years old, and I repented. God, I apologize, God, that that man who pastored me for several years, that I didn't, and we didn't have any problems. I never badmouthed him or anything like that. I never. I, mean, I, I loved him, and I cared about him, but I didn't do the right thing by him. I didn't practice, I didn't practice the honor that I really believe in. And it was, so, it was so cool that I got to bring my other pastor up here. He's 86. I got to bring him up here. Oh, because I got, I'd already started getting this insight that I, that I needed to backtrack. So I get this guy named Goforth up here and took him to a Red Sox game, and we had a blast. And he, he's just an amazing person. He's still going strong. He just resigned this church the other day. <laughs> you know. Pride, ungratefulness. That's your sins, ungratefulness. God, I choose to ignore all the ways you've blessed me. And been mercifully, all the ways you, people, you, that people have forgiven me all these years. Another way we sin is we share bad reports. 
and we practice the alienation of of affection when someone offends us. You know, there's nothing as unstable as a two-legged stool. You know that? Two-legged stool, it's unstable. So it needs a third leg. So when you feel offended, what do you do? You go find another person that you can share your offense with so you can feel emotional stability. But that's what psychologists call triangulation. You brought someone else in who was not a part of the problem, not a part of the solution, and it becomes slanderous, and there begins to be social punishment toward your offender because people, people, want, people take your side in the conversation. We've all done that too, right? Finally, confess that you are powerless to evict Satan without divine help, which is why Jesus designated prayer as the arena in which we pick up the burden of people's offense. Prayer is the arena because he knows we have to have divine help in order to do it. Finally, we must all cry out for mercy and claim the power of the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus over all dark forces and influences to be free to move mountains and drive out the forces of injustice from our community and remove the unfruitful fig trees from our garden. The scripture is a very serious book that doesn't flinch at my objections. It doesn't fold to my whining or allow me to mold it into my image. Truth doesn't offer to negotiate with me, but it stands like a New England lighthouse illuminating the rocks without offering to remove them. If I ignore truth and illumination, I do it at my own peril. At first glance, it may appear that being assigned to a community of Christ followers for which I must constantly exercise tolerance, forgiveness, anger management is a huge bummer until I realize that's what I crave in relationships. God is not delivering bad news. He's inviting us to the dance, the dance of forgiveness. Unfortunately, just showing up to watch the show, which is fine, it's okay that you do that. It's okay that you just come to be inspired. That's okay. We welcome that. But it's not the same as getting on the dance floor and experience the particular graces of Jesus that flows from one person to another. The phrase one another occurs 59 times in the New Testament, five times in Ephesians. And I believe Ephesians is the most one another book in the Bible. Andy Stanley said the primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. The hard truth is, if I don't dance the dance of forgiveness with you, I will dance the dance of bitterness with the devil. So good. You know, and when we look in Matthew and we see Jesus is telling the disciples, and I think this was actually some of your text from your sermon last week, Jesus is telling the disciples, hey guys, the religious leaders, they're going to crucify me, they're going to kill me, don't panic, it's going to be okay, I'm going to raise on the third day. And what did Peter do? Pulled him aside. They're offending you, they're being mean to you, let's get offended, they're hurting your feelings. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. And then, this is just, just listen to this, then what did, they, then what did Jesus say? If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Let's stand across this room, and let's take, let the Holy Spirit have a moment in your heart to translate for you what does it mean to take up your cross.
What is the cross? The cross is that burden of sin. It's the punishment of sin. And what did Jesus say as he was on that cross? Father, forgive them. God, we don't want to see things, as, you, as Jesus said to Peter, we don't want to see things merely from a human point of view. What are those areas in our lives where we're just seeing things from a human point of view, where we're falling into that trap of bitterness, we're falling into the trap of gossip, we're falling into the trap of, of cancel culture, or thinking that you can, you can punish someone into redemption, You are our advocate. You are God overall over those petty situations in our lives. And I pray, God, that we would truly begin to live it out, that we're taking up our cross in each other's lives. Give us wisdom, God, that we would all grow in wisdom and not see things from a human point of view, but coming to each other with offenses in a way that is biblical and godly, in a way that brings restoration. We need you. We know this is something we cannot do on our own. Just take a second and tell him that in your heart. God, I can't do this on my own. I can't deal with offense on my own. I don't have it in me. But I commit to take up my cross and follow you. I commit to be obedient to the Spirit, to diving into your word so that I can be like you, Jesus. We thank you, God, that your ways are higher than ours. And you're using and leveraging the things that are happening in this earthly realm for your good, for your glory in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.